0: i <laughs>
1: This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dowenhauer. We're talking biofuels and rich byproducts of biomass in the second of our two-parter. And if you want to skip the monologue and head straight to the interview, that begins at 425. In last week's episode, we discussed the feedstocks used to create biofuels, specifically cellulosic ethanol. That company, Genera Energy, specialized in working with farmers to ensure they created consistent biomass for ethanol production and were paid a fair price. Price for their crops. Today we are going to look into a technology that could take that same biomass and turn it into biofuels. Consider this the technology found on the other side of the factory gates. As we discussed last week, cellulosic ethanol is primarily created by breaking down the fibers in biomass by using enzymes. But there is another way to create biofuels from biomass that does not require enzymes and that is called gasification. Two things about gasification. First off, this gasification process will not create ethanol. It will create a synthetic diesel fuel. It took me forever in the interview this week to stop saying biodiesel and say synthetic diesel instead. Regardless, we're creating biofuel from biomass. Also, you may remember me alluding to the gasification process in episode 2 when I was describing ways to make hydrogen for fuel cells. It is the process by which you heat and pressurize a hydrocarbon to create a synthetic gas consisting of carbon monoxide and hydrogen. Gasification is cool because it can theoretically be used on anything that has carbon in it. Remember this scene from Back to the Future? Wait a minute, what are you doing doc? I need fuel you'll remember Doc Brown grabbing random trash a banana? beer, and tossing it into Mr. Fusion to make power. Gastification is not fusion, but it does convert mass into energy. Syngas can be created by just about any carbon-based feedstock. Just a few of the hundreds of examples out there include coal, petroleum coke from oil refining, tires, t-shirts, plastic bottles, animal waste, and yes, biomass from plants. You get the idea. Lots of feedstocks that can create lots of products using one core technology. During my clean coal days, we were very bullish on gasification because it is generally accepted to be a cleaner way to capture energy from a feedstock. Quite simply, the chemical reaction is more controlled and less dirty. Gasification sounds a lot like burning or combustion. The main difference is that combustion requires oxygen and gasification does not. In this oxygen-deficient environment, a carbon-based feedstock undergoes a different chemical reaction than combustion. Syngas can be used for chemicals, fertilizers, and fuels, both gas and liquid, which is how we arrive at biofuels. Now, I would be glossing things over if I didn't cover the fine print when it comes to gasification. Several feedstocks have created problems for the gasifiers. Tires, as a feedstock, have gummed up the works in some cases. But the science is sound, and the potential is there. I've seen this technology in action before. Back in 2008, I visited a gasification power plant run by Tampa Electric. It looked a lot like a typical natural gas power plant, except for two differences. One, the place was guarded by security with M16s. That brand of hospitality is usually reserved for nuclear plants. The other was that the facility had a gasifier to convert coal into syngas and then combusting that in a conventional steam turbine as if the syngas from coal had been natural gas. The facility was the first of its kind. And yes, plant managers were transparent about the challenges they faced. But you know what? It works. Our guest today is Dr. Sam Weaver, president of Proton Power, a supplier of gasification equipment based in Lenore City, Tennessee. That's about 30 minutes west of Knoxville. I met Dr. Weaver through Dr. Sam Jackson at Genera Energy, last week's guest. Dr. Weaver can only be described as the kind of classy gentleman they don't make anymore, straight out of central casting. According to Dr. Jackson, Dr. Weaver once strolled into a pork processing facility wearing a very nice suit. And you can bet that left there with that suit as clean as if it had come from the cleaners. Dr. Weaver came out of retirement to start this company, and it has been going strong since 2005. I came to them to talk about creating cellulosic biofuels, but the conversation quickly expanded to all the useful products gasification can yield. Their core technology is their cellulose to hydrogen power unit, which they refer to as a chip unit. It can take feedstocks like switchgrass, for instance, and convert it into hydrogen. Once it is broken down to hydrogen or syngas, you can create electricity chemicals, and fuels like synthetic diesel. The part of the feedstock that is not converted to hydrogen becomes biochar. And this may be the most interesting part of the system because this biochar, which you'd probably expect to landfill, is rich with resources. We're talking miracle Grow on steroids. And we're talking graphene, which for those of you that don't know, this is a headline maker. Graphene is a carbon-based substance and one of the most expensive products on Earth. At Proton Power, it's a byproduct of running switchgrass through its chip system. Experts say graphene, if affordable, could be used for batteries, supercomputers, tissue replacement, lubricants, and it is 200 times stronger than steel and six times lighter. Let the possibilities of that sink in. I think you are really going to enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sam Weaver. here with Dr. Sam Weaver, president of Proton Power. The first question I'd like to do for everyone is just just tell us about Proton Power. W- what do you do every
0: day? We're manufacturers, and what we do is we build systems for other people to own and operate, and those systems will take any kind of biomass feedstock, really any carbon, hydrogen, oxygen molecule, and we put it through our gasifier, which is a pyrolysis gasifier. From that, we create a hydrogen-rich gas stream, and from that hydrogen-rich gas stream, then you can make energy all the ways we use it, heat, electricity, or liquid fuel, specifically a synthetic diesel.
1: When we first spoke online you'd said, hey not to burst your bubble, this is biodiesel, this isn't ethanol.
0: It is not technically biodiesel because the term that most people use for biodiesel is really a fatty acid methyl ester which has a lower energy content and it has a high what they call cloud point so they can only use a limited amount of it. Ours is what they call renewable diesel that has the same molecule in it as the petroleum diesel. But it would be blended with? Doesn't have to be blended. Okay. In fact, when we take people down to our first site that we're commissioning now, we'll let them pull a sample and take it right out of the process and put it into a generator to run it.
1: For years we've been hearing about the benefits of cellulosic ethanol, and if we could just nail down that technology, corn could be used as food again, we could grow switch crats, uh, along the fruited plain, everybody would be kumbaya. Before we drill down into your technology, could you explain why cellulosic ethanol has been such a challenge to to get off the
0: ground? That's not our technology, but they have been converting corn into sugar and then into ethanol for a couple of hundred years. That's old technology. Around here we call it moonshine. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not high tech. Of course, the big plants are high tech, but that's very different from converting the cellulosic material. If you remember back Back in the prohibition days, people would make what they called wood alcohol and that was a cellulosic conversion but that was actually methanol and some of the people that would get hold of that ended up being blinded because it's methanol it's not ethanol. It's just a much tougher process to take the cellulose materials and convert those into sugars and then convert the sugars that you get from that process into ethanol. And the yield is lower because about 30% of it will be lignin, which they cannot convert, and then they have to try to find a use for the lignin itself. You're using a pyrolysis, basically right. essentially gasification,
1: and is the conventional cellulosic ethanol digestion, isn't it? Yes.
0: Okay. Enzymes and bugs, the microbes that actually do the work. So it's a low temperature process. Ours is very different from that. We don't kill any microbes intentionally.
1: <laughs> there are a lot of feedstocks that can be used in your process, but let's talk about switchgrass for a moment. We hear a lot about that. I talked to my Uncle Bobby who uh, is in Tinsaw Parish, Louisiana. He'd been a farmer for a bunch of years. He had heard that they were doing a little bit of that
0: over where he's at. Why is switchgrass always discussed? Switchgrass is a great crop. It was the, the native crop that covered the Great Plains back before European ancestors came over and cut it all down and planted wheat. And one of the reasons that the Midwestern soil is so rich is when they had those prairie fires that would come through, it would convert that into carbon and the carbon would get ground into the soil. And so as a result of that, over the tens of thousands of years, you've got a very rich soil in the Midwest. And to a large extent, a lot of that was due to the switchgrass crop that was there. You get a fairly high density in terms of the amount of biomass you get per acre. You said you've had a, a lot of success breaking down other forms of biomass. Tell us about that. What other things besides switchgrass have worked real well for you? We've tested over 85 different feedstocks at this point. We've tested feedstocks from all over the world, we've tested empty fruit bunch and uh, palm kernel shells from Indonesia. We tested corn stover. Uh, We tested a lot of different Canadian uh, feedstock. We have tested municipal solid waste that's been converted into what they call an RDF form, refuse derived fuel. We've looked for that technology for a lot of years. We finally found what we considered an adequate bolt-on technology to the front of ours. We now are comfortable adding municipal solid waste as uh, one of the offerings that we have. Now not all feedstocks are created equal. A fundamental rule is you can't get more energy out than you put in but if you have a feedstock that has about 7500 BTU per pound then we should expect to get about 100 gallons per bone dry metric ton if you're higher than that you won't improve that much in terms of the yield but if you're less than that then you go down pretty linearly
1: so of all the things you tested what
0: yielded the greatest return I guess switchgrass look good at Rockwood we're going with whole logs one because it's simple to get a uniform feedstock from that, plus there's a lot of that available around here. There's not enough swish grass locally to be able to, to supply enough for the, the plant in Rockwood.
1: You write about essentially taking other people's waste products and then converting them into hydrogen, which is the first step in this mm-hmm. process,
0: and possibly fuel with that. Tell us about some of the advantages to companies that that can provide. Municipal solid waste is an obvious one. One of our customers is planning to put a plant in Ottawa, Ethiopia. But then you also have all of your local utilities will do tree trimmings, which can be converted into a feedstock. In terms of the normal forestry harvesting that's done, right now they tend to leave the slash in the woods. And that's actually an issue because as it rots, it goes back to CO2. The the big logs that get left there, uh, the oxygen can't get to the center, so it's anaerobic and creates methane, which is 23 times worse than CO2, and nitrous oxide, which is 310 times worse than CO2 to, although some people don't like to hear this, it's better to actually burn that than is, is to let it rot. The most responsible thing is to put it through one of our gas fires. Yeah. Because our process is carbon negative and and the reason it's carbon negative is whether you're generating electricity or whether you're generating fuel part of the carbon comes out of the process is biochar our biochar is very different from other biochars because we process that at about 1100 degrees centigrade most biochar is processed at maybe four to six hundred degrees centigrade so ours is over 90 percent carbon has a very high surface area if you put it in the ground it'll stay there for centuries the way it accelerates the plant growth though it's just serving as a great host environment for the natural microbes that are in the soil. It's actually the natural microbes that are doing the work.
1: So the feedstock is broken down into hydrogen, which we'll discuss in a second, carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. There's a secondary process to create renewable diesel. Mm -hmm. Right. Can you tell us a little bit more about the reforming into diesel without having to shoot me? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Just know that our technology does that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair enough. All right. Everyone's got to have their magic box. Yeah. I understand how that we, works. <laughs> well, we
0: let people watch the biomass going in and we let, let them pull fuel off of the process. So. Sure, sure. Uh, one of the biggest criticisms we hear about biofuels
1: is the energy it takes to make the energy. I, I take it you've improved on that a yeah. little bit.
0: Yeah, one of the downsides of the ethanol from corn is the numbers we hear is you maybe get 30% more energy out than you get in. Our returns are more like with the purpose-grown crop, where you count all the energy that goes in to plant the crop, to harvest to get it at the farm gate, the transportation, and the processing. Ours is about 7 to 1. If it's a waste product, it's like 11 to 1 instead of 1.3 to 1.
1: It sounds like you've been pretty competitive on the cost of creating synthetic diesel. Your website says $1.50 to $1.75 per gallon. Is that competitive enough?
0: If you put all the cost against the fuel as the revenue, you're just about break even and nobody would do it. The reason customers are still coming to us is because we had three revenue streams from the process. And so if you divide your cost among the three revenue streams, now you're talking 60 cents a gallon and that is competitive.
1: Switching a bit to hydrogen, uh, tell us about the potential
0: of creating low cost hydrogen. We can make hydrogen from biomass for anywhere from 30 to 75 cents a kilogram. A kilogram of hydrogen has about 92% of the energy content of a gallon of gasoline for when we started this I came out of retirement to just start a company to make a little bit of hydrogen and then we call this the gift that keeps on giving because started uh, generating electricity and we started supplementing a diesel generator to make electricity. Uh, when we built a system for the University of Tennessee it got us into the liquid fuel.
1: Right now your business model is essentially just build the chip. There's no plans to own and operate a plant, correct?
0: Yeah. Y'all just build kit. Uh, that's certainly true. To build systems to own and operate takes a lot of cash. Uh, uh, we are having discussions with people to make uh, enough of an investment. The kind of investments you need to really do to add, build on, and operate as well as sales to customers is about $150 million.
1: We talked about this a little bit earlier. I saw that you're also giving miracle Grow a run for their money.
0: <laughs> Tell us about this, the biochar and the advantages of that. Biochar, as I mentioned before, it, it's a great soil supplement. To be honest, uh, when we started, we attributed no value to the biochar. And then our guys convinced me to let them plant some trees. In one row of the trees, uh, these were red oak and poplar. They put 40 tons per acre, which is about 40% in the soil. Uh, then they had a row with no biochar, and then they had a row with 10 tons per acre. After about seven months, an agronomist from Auburn University came up, and what he found was that the growth rate was 13 times the growth rate with no biochar. Basically, the the typical enhanced growth rate is about three to five times, and it's a one-time a application. I'm dumbstruck. That's amazing. Yeah. Now we can't keep an inventory at $1,000 a ton. And so it'll be the largest inventory revenue from any of the plants.
1: There appear to be endless possibilities with this technology. You call it the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. What is the lowest hanging fruit here for Proton Power?
0: The biggest unknown, and the thing we're continuing to do some research on, is that our biochar is primarily graphene. I don't know if that rings any bells to you or not. Well, there's a lot of potential for that. Graphene typically sells for 100 to 175 dollars a gram. And how much graphene are you getting out of the biochar? Our biochar appears to be as good as the best graphene. Nobody's making a pure graphene. But it, this is yielding pure graphene? It's not pure graphene. It's as good as the best graphene. Okay, okay. It's it's not pure graphene. Probably based on atomic force microscope data that we have, we have probably 10 percent that is one atomic layer of graphene up to. 10%. 10 atomic layers, about 34%. But if you have something that's 100 times stronger than steel, do you care if it's only 30 times stronger? And if you have something that's 1,000 times the electrical conductivity of copper, do you care if it's only 300 times electrical conductivity? The market for it is small because it's so expensive. Nobody can afford to make a product with it, but they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars around the world doing research on the graphene. Harder than diamond, stronger than steel, got the highest thermal and electrical conductivity it has a very high capacitance. Fast charge, high energy storage is one of the sweet spots. Rockwood will make about 11,500 tons a year. Okay. If you sold it for a penny a gram, that'd be $115 million a year. Okay. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> so the point is we're going to make the graphene market real. This is going to finally make it affordable, essentially, yeah? Yeah. That, that's
1: fantastic. The, the main technology is pyrolysis gasification. Right. Okay. There's a couple of large companies out there. GE comes to mind, Siemens, I believe, who are doing industrial gas fires. What is the difference between proton powers, pyrolysis technology,
0: and something industrial, say, like a GE gasifier? for instance, what's Uh, the advantage? Most people who get in the gasification business go about it from a controlled combustion standpoint, and we're not. Uh, My business partner and I, we worked together 45 years, March 1, and from the very beginning, we made our own furnaces. We started making neutron absorbers for the large commercial nuclear power plants. We came from a different space. People would come in and ask us, uh, would you build me one of those furnaces? And it became a product line. We made very large thermochemical processing systems all over the world. Temperatures as high as 2,800 degrees centigrade. Uh, That's half the temperature of the surface of the sun. We made the first in the world and five of the first seven for making pitch-based high-strength, high-modulus carbon fibers they use in stealth aircraft and golf clubs and tennis rackets and, and that kind of thing. A mistake a lot of people make who get in the gasification business is they'll build a bench scale and then they'll say well, just multiply it by 100. You know, but it doesn't work that way. Because the thermal characteristics don't work that way because heat transfers a thermal process yes. and if you get high enough you get some radiation which is where we are if you still use fossil fuels for your transportation for the biomass uh, in and the fuel out we have a 97% reduction in carbon emissions relative to fossil diesel if you use our own fuel in and out we're actually 120% reduction in carbon emissions relative to fossil diesel
1: so the feedstock being used is being gas classified through your um, technology. Right. There is a little bit of CO2 generated in that process, mm-hmm. but the biochar is going back down into the ground and that's sequestration. Is that correct? That's correct.
0: Okay. And so that's your
1: carbon negative they've been,
0: yeah, They've been working to try to figure out how to do carbon sequestration for years. And I was part of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, most people think about it and taking the CO2 and putting it down in like in the, the salt domes, okay? This is far better. If it, it not only a lot less pumping involved yes (laughs) well not only is it benefiting the soil but the enhanced growth rate of the plants takes additional carbon. carbon out of the air and so you get a double benefit. You know how much you're putting in the ground, but nobody has yet taken into account how much additional carbon you get from the enhanced growth rate. Because
1: the plant is growing faster, it's yeah. pulling more carbon out yeah. of the atmosphere, so that's an additional, unaccounted for, net carbon reduction. That's yeah. right. And it goes on year after year. Fantastic. You're a University of Tennessee graduate. That's got correct. your doctorate from there. Uh, this company is here in Tennessee, as opposed to California, or New York, or Boston. How important to you is is that, that the work is done here.
0: This is a fantastic area to live in. We we love it here. I've traveled the world and all the states except one, and there's no place that I would rather be than this area. It's an area with a great work ethic, it's a very business-friendly environment, both locally and, and statewide. The kind of thing that we're doing, we're gonna sell all over the world. There is no advantage to being in downtown San Francisco or Boston. I love both cities, but from a manufacturing standpoint, it makes no sense to be anywhere other than where we are.
1: And you shouldn't sell yourself short because you are 20 minutes away from Oak Ridge and you are 30 minutes away from UT Knoxville. Tell us uh, how
0: you've been able to leverage that up. I worked at Oak Ridge early in my career for six years, graduated from the University of Tennessee. The biggest advantage of those is particularly with the university if you have a specific technical problem that you want to take to the university it's real easy to get some help from them and we funded programs there on, on many occasions uh, some of them up to half a million dollar programs but it's it's not just Oak Ridge and the university. Alcoa's main plant's here. The PET scan was developed here. Uh, this is a high-tech area. Uh, maybe doesn't get quite the publicity of, of some of the others, but this is a high-tech area. Maybe a little different focus than they have out in Silicon Valley, but we're solving different problems. From a material standpoint, probably can't go to any place in the country uh, that's better than this. Final
1: question. Okay. This is what I call my lightning round. I like to interview people in all the different energy sectors I'd like to ask them what they think about the other energy sectors, natural gas.
0: There's a lot of natural gas. From our standpoint, we don't care how much natural gas or any other fossil, or wind or solar, but the world is only supplying 20% of the energy needs of the planet. And that's a reason that the median income for the planet is $850 a year. So we're just going after the 80% they've left on the table. Just just that 80%, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Crude oil. Crude oil, once again, it's important. We obviously have to transition because the expected lifetime is around 40 years there has to be a transition made ours is the it's environmentally friendly we find ourselves at the nexus of civilization food water and energy and environment and ours is a solution for all of those Coal. It's going to take a while to transition off of coal. Uh, I personally think coal is uh, better off to use for chemicals and so on, than uh, left in the ground and used at a slower rate. But once again, we don't think ourselves as being competitive. Uh, we think ourselves as being additive. If you build enough of our systems, you can offset coal emissions. Wind. Wind is good. It has a reputation for killing birds because uh, the wind uh, creates a vortex. The birds get caught in the vortex and can't get out, and so. Uh, the blades killed the birds. They've driven the cost down. I don't think an area like Tennessee is good, but there are areas in uh, across the Midwest that probably makes sense to take advantage of wind. Solar. They've driven the cost of solar down. We're not opposed to solar. We don't get a lot of sunlight about midnight, so it's limited. They always talk about the peak solar, but the net integrated for the day is about four hours peak solar. And around here it's about 13% efficient. If you have wind and solar, they're what you should call discontinuous technologies. So you there has to be something like biomass to fill in the gap geothermal if you're sitting on a nice volcano you're in really good shape (laughs) hydroelectric <coughs> Hydroelectric is great. They pretty well tapped it. You, you might get another 10% uh, hydro. That's about all you're ever going to get. Electric vehicles? Electric vehicles are, are fine. They have a larger carbon footprint than your gas cars because the generation of that uh, is, to a large extent, still fossil-based. Biofuels? Biofuels, of course, that's uh, part of the market that we're in, and so we think it's great. It is hugely bigger than I thought it was already. I've seen some numbers uh, saying it's as big as 416 billion dollars a year. If that's true, it's bigger than OPEC, but then so does Walmart. Nuclear fusion. Nuclear fusion has been 50 years away for 70 years now. (laughs) We seem to hear that a lot. (laughs) Dr. Uh, Sam Weaver, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome.
1: There you have it, my interview with Dr. Sam Weaver, president of Proton Power, a Tennessee-based manufacturer of gasification equipment. I also want to thank his partner, Dan Hensley, for taking me around the facility to see how the chip system is fabricated. I have pictures on our website and on Instagram. Our handle is hostenergy on Instagram, and our website is energy-cast.com. My email is host at energy-cast.com. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop, that's S-T-R-O-O-P-E loops. All of our interviewees for this podcast and all podcasts are sent both the raw recording and the finished podcast the week of release for review. We want to make sure no topics are misrepresented. Thank you again to Dr. Weaver and Mr. Hensley for their time. Please join us next week for a bit of a homecoming for me. We'll be talking about coal with the West Virginia Coal Association. You won't want to miss it. That wraps up episode five, I'm Jay Dowenhauer. we'll see you next time.